G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Robert Shaw. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is our round one review. Great to be getting back into this bit of meat and potatoes football and a fantastic start to the 2022 season. Uh, Some results of real significance. Of course, the grand final rematch kicked us off. Going back to last Wednesday, that seems like a while ago now, but some uh, terrific games in the first round, some thrilling finishes, plenty of drama, bit of controversy, some uh, injuries uh, to uh, important players, which may be of some consequence. Plenty to talk about. Uh, We're here, as we are indeed every episode, for our terrific partners at Palmerbet. Of course, bookmakers to the stars, and to us as well, uh, you can get some terrific value on football betting with Palmerbet. Always remember to gamble responsibly, of course. And with Palmerbet, you get tackle-busting benefits this AFL season. As I say, a very good evening to my footyology co-host, Robert Shaw. What would you make of all the action, Shuri? Good evening, uh, Rowan. I... I'm very similar to you. I was very excited about it. I'm a bit worried that uh, burnout might occur, not for teams, but for you and I. So you're telling me we've got 22 more weeks of this and finals. Indeed, uh, 27 all up, yep. Well, well this one's exhausted me already, but uh, we're, we're just, a, just a snapshot. The um, I love the emergence of Carlton. I love what Voss has done with the game plan. Collingwood, uh, quite an exciting unit, although the Saints are a little bit injury-struck uh, with their squad. And, of course, the the different scales of debutants. We had a high-profile Josh Rochelle from Shepparton at number six. He's kicked five. And probably one of the last people ticked off on any list was Nick Martin at Essendon. Only turned up at, in January because of COVID, uh, only got a game because of Stringer and Jones not being there, and that's with the greatest respect. And they've nailed five goals in a debut game. So some team highlights, but certainly some great individual ones. Absolutely. And I think uh, just from an overall perspective, uh, and it's easy to wax lyrical about attacking, you know, free scoring footy early in the season when the grounds are dry and defensive mechanisms haven't perhaps been that well drilled. But I just suspect there's some good signs about the sort of football we're going to see. I think taking the odd risk and I think scoring is sort of back in town. And, um, you know, I seem to say this every year, but hopefully it'll really stick in 2022. Certainly some good indicators on that score and some sides who we haven't been that used to playing attractive, uh, freer flowing football, certainly pursuing that style now. We'll talk about that in some detail when those particular sides come up. Nine games to get through, heaps of action. Let's drill down in full detail on each game. On Footyology, 
Wraparound. The first of 198 home and away games to be played in 2022. Was, you like you like that figure, Rob? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's stuck in my head for a few years now. One ninety-eight home and away, and nine finals equals two hundred and seven. Uh, usually, it's about August you start ticking them off, I reckon. But uh, they're all good at this stage. And this first one, of course, a rematch of the previous one we'd seen to round out twenty twenty-one. That is a grand final rematch on Wednesday night. At the MCG, I've got along there myself, Rob. Fantastic. First time I've been in the media area at the MCG, believe it or not, since the 2019 grand final. I saw the photo and that was the old spot, wasn't it? Yeah, it was good to, good to be yeah, good to be there. I've got a few people telling me I'm starting to bear an uncanny resemblance to Jimmy Barnes, which uh, um, I've heard worse comparisons, but I can't quite see it myself. Anyway, enough self-indulgence. This was a great game. Thought it was a really high standard. Uh, some big similarities with that grand final too in terms of the uh, the swings and roundabouts and I guess surges of momentum. But Melbourne, for the better part, uh, the dominant side certainly had the better execution of these two sides. Uh, 58,000, just over 58,000 at the MCG for this game. In the end, Melbourne, 26-point victors, 14-13, 97, defeating the Western Bulldogs, 11-5-71. The goals for the victors, three to Big Ben Brown, two each to Fritch and Petrarca, singles the rest. And for the Doggies, four to Aaron Norton, the newly headband-clad Aaron Norton, two goals to Adam Trelaw, singles the rest for the Doggies. Great players, well, the usual suspects, Christian Petrarca, wow. Plenty of discussion now about whether he is officially the best player in the game. Ben Brown really solid up forward. Uh, the usual midfield suspects looking good for the Demons. Uh, same for the Doggies, to be honest. McRae pretty uh, prolific as ever. Norton, always dangerous up forward. Gee, he's a great mark. Bailey Smith, really good for the Doggies as well. Uh, Adam Trelaw, pretty handy as well. What do you make of this game, Rob? Well, where do you start with this game, uh, Rowan? Um you mentioned a, a, a couple of matchups there. Firstly, we'll start with the uh, the Norton May one, which was an intriguing game. Not only for the fact that Norton uh, kicked uh, a burst of goals and finished the game with four, I found him a very selfless player. Um, we know Stephen May when he's with Jake Lever, they like to control that inside fifty. But I was really wrapped with Norton, the way he moved up the ground. He took May right out of his comfort zone and moved him around, tested his fitness, tested that old hamstring too. Can I just ask you quickly on Norton? Because I was thinking this watching him. He is such a great mark, but he's so much better a high contested mark than so many of his colleagues. Is that a skill that players just generally don't perform as well anymore? Because... He looks so conspicuously good as a mark. I wonder if 30 years ago we would have been watching him go, oh, yeah, he's a good mark. But whereas now we look at him, and it's really special. It's so much better than the marking ability of so many of his contemporaries. You know what well, I mean? And, and, and it is, is it a lost art? Did it become uh, better because of the chopping of the arms rules? The Masters, Silvani, Fletcher would probably not allow Aaron Norton to do that. They were the masters of hitting the forearm, so you'd only go with one arm. But you're not allowed to do that now, so it becomes a more body and body and both arms reaching out. But 
I loved his game. Um, gee, talk about momentum shifts, Rowan. First four to Melbourne, conceded the next eight, hit the scoreboard with the next six, and we're trying to keep up. But it was very interesting that it did follow sim- similarities, and that's one concern. You'd have to look at the Bulldogs and the decision-making because when when they went out to that similar margin, I think they went out to 22 points, the Bulldogs, um, who lifted them? Who started to win clearances? Who started to win ground balls? Who exerted their physicality on the game and their kicking? And it was exactly the same scenario that presented in the grand final. That's Christian Petrarca. Now, while while the um, while I thought Dunk, Dunkley, Bontempelli, and Bailey Smith moved from a wing inside were were really good in this period. Once Petrarca got on top. You just wondered why Tom Liberatore was anchored to the half-forward flank. Tom Liberatore attended one centre clearance, one centre bounce for one clearance, and I'll give you stats. One clearance, three contested ball, and one centre square contest. That's an unusual thing to happen when the heat is on. I would have thought the runner to Liberatore... They're aware that Petrarca's lifted, but there was no nothing that I could see where where the adjustment in the change of momentum came from. I wonder sometimes whether um, you know they've got such an incredibly deep group of potential midfielders, and so many of them can play other roles well because they have to. Then are in the midfield all the time. I wonder if sometimes it's not even a criticism of Luke Beveridge necessarily, but I wonder if sometimes they sort of outsmart themselves. You've got so many options. You don't think, okay, let's go back to the heavy hitters. McRae, Liberatore, uh, Bontempelli. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that was the main the main four. McRae, Bontempelli, Smith and uh, Dunkley mm. all did a very good job. And then you have to find a position for Liberatore. Yeah, and, and that's what I mean. You, you've sort of got – you've got too many almost at times. I, look, I, for me, the biggest difference between those two teams was execution. I know the Bulldogs just had too many costly turnovers, didn't they? I mean, you could see them – I think they were tr- trying to take more risks to break up – sort of break up Melbourne's defences, and that occasionally led to them – or too often led to them turning it over. And I wonder – if that's something that will improve as their touch improves and uh, the ball movement, you know, becomes more second nature to them or whether that's something they'd be worried about. Well, the Bulldogs went at 35% inside 50 efficiency. So they're the numbers that we can get our hands on and anyone can, by the way. So that's sort of backing up your philosophy. And of course, Melbourne's greatest strength and the number one thing they pride themselves on is intercept possessions and they were able to cut the Bulldogs off 83 times they intercepted. Wow. And that's their discipline and their trademark. They've got great balance, haven't they? I mean, you know, we we talk, we talk tend to talk about the Bulldogs midfield, but you talk about Melbourne now and you cover all bases, don't you? Their defence is clearly the best in the competition. I think their midfield group's clearly the best in the competition. And for a while we talked about the attack perhaps being the Achilles heel. Well, it's far from that now. I mean, since Ben Brown came back into that side last year, it really was the missing link. And I, I love the balance that he provides along with, uh, you know, the slightly more mobile-like um, of, of Bailey Fritch. 
Gorn and Jackson, both really dangerous when they go down there. You've got that ground-level pressure of Pickett. Um, and, and that's the alleged weaker area. Um, geez, they're going to be hard to beat. It's really easy to say after one game, but they are a, a seriously good team. Yeah, you just touched on Jackson. We had a good chat about him at our uh, our preview, Rowan, about Jackson and Gorn and how they shared the role. It was very similar, but uh, interesting from the Bulldogs. I, I understand why they do it. They had Shackie, Cordy, and, of course, Norton up forward. So basically putting the onus onto Tim English to ruck, I reckon he rucked 90% of the time and with a little bit of a chop out. So that's a huge ask, not a criticism, just an observation It happened. He wanted a settled back line and he wants settled forwards, it appears to me, for uh, for Bevo. And um, he's put it on the young bloke, you know, you're going to take these two blokes and ruck most of the day. I, th- I thought he did a good job. Well, we, we, two names we're going to uh, talk about a lot with the Bulldogs might not even play much. And one of them's Eugle Hagen and the other one is Josh Bruce. But, they, you know, Eugle Hagen clearly will play a reasonable part. Bruce is going to be that name that might be cream on the cake. You know, where they're going to be in a position for him to be that cream on the cake, that's the other issue. But, uh, you know, look, I, they're a really good side, the doggies. I've tipped them to win the flag. I didn't see anything particularly in this. The doggies or yeah. the demons? No, no, I've picked the doggies to win the flag. Right. Um, toss of the coin for me. And I look, I haven't seen anything in this, even in this loss, that's made me go, oh, gee, I don't know if I can win the flag. You know, And one thing you'll learn with me, Rob, doing this, I really hate people that go the early crow. So we're not going to be guilty of that in this podcast, are we? All right. First game of the season, Melbourne backing up that grand final win with a 26-point win over the Bulldogs. Let's talk about what happened on Thursday night. Thursday night at the MCG, a game that uh, has become the traditional starting point of each new AFL season. Not the case this year. Second cab off the rank. And uh, wouldn't you know it, the years when this has been the showpiece game, it hasn't necessarily been that... uh, Show-stopping, I thought this Richmond-Carlton game was uh, by some margin the best that I've seen. I remember these two sides playing, probably going back to the last Carlton win over Richmond prior to this, which was the 2013 elimination final. And uh, this, in some ways, a similar storyline with Richmond leading, not as comfortably as in that game, but Richmond leading pretty well and uh, at three-quarter time once they'd kicked six goals to two in that third quarter with the lead the best part of three goals I don't think too many people were thinking well um, Richmond won't go on with it but they didn't because hats off to Carlton they ran right over the Tigers in the finish of this game seven five in the last quarter to Richmond's poultry one goal one saw the Blues run out 25-point winners in the end, 14-17-101, defeating Richmond 11-10-76. The goals for the Blues, three to Patrick Cripps. He does look like he's going to hit the scoreboard harder this year. Two to Durden, singles to the rest, but a total of 11 individual goal kickers for the Blues. I'll be happy with that. And for Richmond, three goals to Shea Bolton, two to Noah Bolter, Two to Tom Lynch, singles the rest. Um, they'd be wrapped the blue, Shory. Fantastic last quarter. And uh, haven't they got some run and excitement about them now? 
No, it was a beautifully balanced team. And um, look, look, we could talk about this game for an hour because the two sides were such a huge profile. But um, I'll, I'll just jump in quickly with the Tigers. It was the Tigers' lowest tackle count since 2015 and very, very unlike Richmond. I'll say this with the greatest respect. Sometimes in a game, Rowan, you can start too easily. I thought Carlton were very nervous and you saw that with their kicking. They went too short and turned the ball over. Cut, uh, Richmond's field kicking led by Bolton was very good. They looked methodical. They looked switched on and they got away to a great start. Pickett was doing well on the wing. They dominated the clearances and, and their field kicking was excellent. Um, but look, over the summer, Michael Voss has focused on two things, right? Last year, they were 15th without the footy. They didn't work hard going the other way, and that means. And they were also 15th in the contest. You think about how he has changed this team in one game, one preseason, to be a terrific team in the contest and to wear a side down like Richmond. And also, once it went in their forward line, the capacity to set up a defensive system behind the ball. I thought it was first class. All right, so just in answer, so where is the improvement, say, in the contest coming from? Because I look at, I think George Hewitt is a really underestimated quality pickup for them. I think he'll give them a lot. Well, Sarah's the class. We spoke about this the other night. Their team was a lot settled. He's made people believe in themselves with a little bit of a, a, a stick also. You can't tell me he's had a he hasn't had a real heart to heart with McGovern, and he's given responsibility to go from one end of the ground to the other. And his role was critical. He asked him to go deep because Liam Jones is not there. I thought he was great. Um, I thought one of the problems they had early was they might have been a little bit too big and too slow, um, which allowed Richmond to run it out. DeConning is going to be a player, isn't he, when he goes into the ruck and forward? And you also had Mackay, Curnow and Silvani. Jack Martin was good at ground level, but I just put early question marks on mobility and maybe next time they take one of the big blokes off and start a little bit quicker. I tell you what, just looking at the stats, their dominance in general play um, is probably far more than the scoreboard indicated apart from that last quarter. I mean, they've, they've had they've had 50-odd more disposals, but the inside 50 count in the end, 64 to 40. So they've really breached uh, Richmond's defences pretty easily and continually, haven't they? Clearances, almost doubled them for clearances, 40 to 22. Of course, the Tigers haven't historically been a great clearance team. Con the contest, though, 21 more contested possessions. Good on the spread, too, with uh, 37 more than the Tigers ended up with. And you mentioned the tackles and that ferocious pressure, pressure that we're used to Richmond exerting. Carlton actually won the tackle count 42 to 32. How's this for a difference, though? And this might be a real key. Tackles inside 50, Rob. Yep. 14 to 1. Well, that's... You talk about coaching influence and philosophy. You say, how does this happen? It's it's a philosophy of Voss. He's having his second go, so he's now a very experienced senior coach, having learnt uh, from mistakes, but also going to another club and looking how it's done. He's done two things, and that's the number one thing because it used to just go into the Carlton's 
uh, forward line straight out for a goal at the other end. They couldn't defend transition. And this is also the problem we'll talk about later with the, with, uh, with the Essendon Football Club. Mm. And, but Voss has been able to fix this in one pre-season. So by tackling and keeping the ball in the forward line, you give your back line time and your midfielders that 10 seconds extra from an extra stoppage or a boundary throw-in to set up behind the ball. Well, there's also not much substitute for just getting your hands on the footy, is there? And no, um, no surprise, given the final result, that the the five leading disposal winners on the ground were all Carlton players. Kennedy with 33, Chera with 30, and it's a hard, it's a chit, by the way, Robin. Having spent some time in Chera. Fremantle, you should be across this Italian pronunciation. Chera, Adam Chera. Um, 30 for him, 30 for Cripps, 28 for Hewitt, 26 for Sam Doherty. And what a fantastic moment. And he's come back to footy when he uh, slotted that goal. That was a real, uh, not a dry eye in the house moment. Um, what a role he played. He just gave them that extra wing, half back, um, which, which we spoke about the other night. You, you spoke about, you know, Cripps being injury free. I don't know the difference in his weight. Let's just say he's, he's stripped off 5K um, and he's got Chera and he's got Hewitt. He's got Walsh coming back and he's got an improved Kennedy. Mate, he'll be doing a Dustin Martin. He'll be playing on the ball, pushing forward and actually playing out a full forward. So if that's an indication, that's, that's a 30 to 40 goal season from Patrick Cripps. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned um, Kennedy too, because, uh, you know, I mentioned Hewitt, but wow, Kennedy, you're wondering now, and he he did start to show this late last year, you're wondering now, is this the guy that GWS had as a, you know, a prize recruit? Is this finally, it's taken a while, but he looks like he could really be great value for the Blues. And they picked him up a fair while ago now, so... The bits and pieces coming together for him, obviously very early days. And, uh, gee, uh, not everything went right, did it? Because Vossi doesn't even get to coach him in round two because, unfortunately, uh, tested positive for COVID. So, um, Ash Hansen will be I know this is, the yeah. Sorry, I know this is stat off the telly, but, you know, we're analysing everything and what we hear and what we see, we try and put together. The last 40 minutes of the game... Um, Inside 50s, 30 to 4 against Richmond. Wow, four. This is against Richmond and with the last seven goals. Yeah. So as Rex used to say, that's a destroyation. By the Blues against the powerful Richmond, who we both think are going to take a significant step back into the top eight. But Yeah, we do. It's a but though, isn't it? I I was going to say just, you know, one two-word answer, but... Sometimes you watch a round one game and you think, okay, well, who knows what that means? You know, weird. Sometimes you watch a round one game and you see things that make you think, gee, are they what I thought? And I must admit, I'm a huge believer in Richmond, but I just had a look at a few things and more notably a few of those younger players who they were playing. And I did think, gee, are they what they were? Mm. And of course, uh, the old chestnut's kind of come back to haunt them. If he's done a hamstring in round one, uh, Dion Presti is so important. They admitted going in with uh, uh, Jam- uh, with Graham being underdone because I think they're a little bit concerned about the, uh, the, uh, the Carlton midfield. So 
Cochin was okay, looked fit and fresh. Martin looked okay, but Shy Bolton's going to have to have a huge year as a 70% midfield 30 forward. He's going to really step up into there or or they're going to be light on in midfield depth. And that's another important point, is it? Because who would have who would have said even two years ago when Shea Bolton was really starting to show his wares that they'd be as dependent upon him that shorter time down the track as they appear to be. So uh, early days, but uh, just a bit of a, a, a watch on the Tigers to see how they respond and certainly promising signs for the Blues. All right. That is Wednesday and Thursday. Let's move to Friday in this opening round extravaganza. Friday evening at Marvel Stadium saw St Kilda taking on Collingwood. Uh, Two sides with uh, potential issues this year. I don't think a lot expected of the Pies uh, moving into a bit of a rebuilding phase under new coach Craig McRae. A lot of interest to see how he would go. The Saints, well... Made the finals 2020 terribly disappointing last year. Could they bounce back under Brett Ratton? Well, after this game, you would be absolutely wrapped as a Pies supporter. You would be, in contrast, pretty worried if you were a Sainter. The margin, not huge in the end, but Collingwood, definitely the superior team on this occasion. 17-point victors, 15-12, Defeating the Saints 12 13, 85 in front of 40,129 at Marvel Stadium. For the victors, three goals to Brody Myacek, two to Ginnivan, two to Dugowie, two to Sidebottom, two to Henry. Singles, the rest. And for the Saints, three to Jack Hayes in his debut. What a terrific debut that was for St Kilda. Three to Membry. Two to Gresham, singles, the rest. I guess, Shuri, for the uh, Pies, uh, so much attention all summer going on. The second uh, Dacos father-son in Nick, and wow, what a debut that was. That was a terrific debut for the Pies. Well, we've got onto the ground finally for Collingwood. We've got over the Jeff Brown scenario. We've got over Jordan Degoe's... Indiscretions, indiscretions, and um, and and we've got onto the footy where they look to really enjoy themselves. Look, um, with apologies, we did forget um, Jack Hayes's debut at twenty-five, and I'll be the first to admit, I'm scurrying for papers and the the AFL Bible. Jack Hayes, twenty-five, and um, as he as he slipped through the cracks a fair bit, Rowan, because. Um, without Paddy Ryder, there's a number of issues, number of examples of people getting opportunities that mightn't have got them if clubs had a full list. But to me, this was something old, side bottom and uh, pendles. They looked uh, pretty good. Something new, Nick Davis, Jack Hayes, something borrowed. Nick, Nick Dacos, not Nick Davis. Nick Dacos and he wouldn't Jack have been Hayes. Too, yeah. <laughs> something borrowed. Patrick Lipinski oh, yeah. and something blue. I couldn't find anything that Collingwood could relate to the blue. So, but Patrick Lipinski, look, it's not anyone's fault. The The biggest depth of any midfield would quite possibly be the Bulldogs. So he was either the last in and the first out. So he's to boo at Collingwood. Um, 
30 possessions, 77% efficiency, 13 contested possessions, five clearances, seven inside 50s, a goal and four tackles. He's nearly played the perfect modern game. He's he's covered every area. He's uh, well. The hype's been enormous. He, he's uh, he's going to be good. Uh, since you mentioned that blue thing, I'm going to have to go with this rather off colour. Remember uh, Cameron O'Brien used to play for Collingwood. Yeah. Well, there was a blue connection there, but it came post career because uh, the the popular story about him is he went to US. Uh, and ended up starring in a particular genre of movies. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, no, that was. I wasn't sure. I would have gone with that with Fine. He wasn't sure if I should go with that with you, but I think I might. Uh, I might uh, see how you go with him. Anyway, hey, Rowan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've watched a fair bit of footy. Um, oh, good. I th- that's not what I thought you were going to say. Then. No, 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 no. What What was your take on Collingwood? What did you say? Gee, oh. that's changed. Oh, uh, yeah, it was. And look, I should proceed this by saying I had Collingwood ending up getting the wooden spoon and uh, I, I had people giving it to me on Twitter on Friday night and I can understand why. Yeah, no, I, I think they look they look a lot more positive, a lot more direct with their ball movement. I think a lot more, a lot more prepared to take chances uh, in moving the ball on quickly. But here's the thing, and you, you get tired of saying this, but Surely if you're playing that sort of dour, overly defensive minor game, it, it saps your morale and saps your confidence. And when you're not winning with it, it must make it even harder to, to go. Now, Collingwood, a, a young developing side, they're going to lose more games than they win, even, even allowing for how they looked on Friday night. So to keep those spirits up, you need something to enthuse about. I think they're going to be pursuing a style of footy which has them happy and enthusiastic even beside the results. And I think that's a real positive. And you know what? I mean, you know, symbolic maybe, but I love seeing Craig McRae come down the race at the end of the game and high-fiving the fans and beaming a huge smile, you know, and I could see some people going, oh, don't get ahead of yourself, son. But I reckon that's what Collingwood needs. I need a bit of enthusiasm and excitement and and forget the caution for a moment. Enjoy being a young emerging side with some great young players, don't you reckon? Yeah, I do, and I agree with you entirely. They they tended to handball more. They tended to be a little bit more exciting and attacking in their ball movement. So that was my impression of them. And then, you, of course, you had Henry, Ginevan, the two Dacos boys, McCreary, these blokes that um, emerging young footballers. And why I said something old, it, uh, Sidebottom still did play on the wing forward, Pendruby pushed back a little bit. So there's some subtle adjustments to the old fellas. And, of course, they starting to go out of full forward and doing that, how do I say, it is a trend, a very good trend in AFL football that we are seeing the Bontempelli's, the Martins, the Fife's, the Mundy's. I uh, sound like Gary Ayres, but I'll keep going. Um, and you've got your, your, your Degoe's. Changing, full forward, drifting forward, pushing onto the ball. Uh, it's a really good and exciting trend for these six foot three ruck rover types. Well, and, and it's a bit like the old uh, school footy or under 12s, isn't it? Yeah. Where the, the best player not only gets 40 touches, he then goes forward and wins you the game with five goals. <laughs> What's changed? It's exactly the same. Dustin <laughs> Martin does it. Um, oh, look, 
uh, Jake Stringer is a is a classic example. Anyway, so Saints, we'll just wait and see, Rowan. Uh, very much hit by injuries, and um, th- they need a full deck. They need everyone on deck to make a make an imprint. Well, that's I, I was going to ask you for a word on them. Certainly, some injuries, which didn't help. But gee, I don't know. Twenty twenty when they made. Uh, the finals and we were talking about those imports from other clubs and I remember talking about their depth and thinking their depth's reasonable gee it looks pretty thin now doesn't it and I think that's a consequence of loading up on so many of those senior players from other clubs it means that you're not drafting kids that might give you that depth yep I'm with you you oh, can... sorry, you were waiting for an answer no, I no, thought no. you gave a statement it was a great statement that I was speechless yeah, okay. I won't reveal the fact that you're actually having had a mouthful of food there. <laughs> no. What's the time? Uh, yeah, well, it is dinner time. Well, after if... after this one, I won't blow your cover. But um, right, yeah. I I like it. Look, fine. He was a big fan of the pregnant pause, Rob. So um, it's not going to sound much different. <laughs> In fact, Finey's pregnant pauses were often so pregnant uh, it was a bit of a nine-month gestation period (laughs) until he said something. All right, uh, that is Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night. uh, And now, after three games, finally we move to the more traditional football surrounds of Saturday afternoon. Well, plenty of anticipation about uh, this one um, on behalf of both sides. I think a lot of people wondering just where Geelong would be. Would this be the year they finally went backwards? And uh, their opponent in this game, Essendon, of course, having made the finals last year and some bullish predictions about the Bombers this year, I should point out very rapidly here, not necessarily from either of us, but Mick Malthouse saying they could win the flag. I reckon he might be revisiting that after this result, uh, Shorey, because the Cats absolutely did a number on the Bombers. They were super impressive uh, right from the start. Seven goals to two in that opening quarter. In the end, winning by a massive 66 points. The final scores, Geelong 2018-138, defeating Essendon 11-6-72. A couple of injury concerns for either side. Uh, Jeremy Cameron hurting a hip pointer, but I did see him, Big Jezza, talking about the injury. I think he will be okay. Uh, More concerns for Essendon. Kyle Langford uh, tearing a hamstring for about the third time in about as many games for him, so real issues there. Jaden Laverde, as he's prone to do, getting knocked around, a hip injury for him, but did courageously come back. But I'll tell you what, Essendon just looked outclassed and out of sorts all day in this game and terrific stuff by the Cats. The goals for them, four to Tom Hawkins. Boy, did he look in good touch. Four to first gamer for the Cats, Tyson Stengel, uh, did exactly what they picked him up to do, which was be dangerous around goals up forward at ground level. Two to Cameron, two to Close, two to my boy, Maxie Holmes. Good to see Max hit the scoreboard even against my side, and uh, singles the rest for the Bombers. And you mentioned him in the intro. Wow, what a fantastic debut for Nick Martin. Five goals, the sole shining light, I think, for the Bombers, it's fair to say. Two to Peter Wright and two to Caldwell as well. But uh, 54,495 at the MCG just saw a dominant performance, seven to two at quarter time. 12 goals to three come halftime and really 
the second half uh, glorified circle work, Rob. But uh, boy, Essendon are going to get a, have to get a lot better than that. Thought they were lazy, thought they were uh, slow, or thought they were soft. Uh, thought the midfield just didn't want to get its hands dirty. How do you see it? Well, it was uh, extremely disappointing. I had Geelong by 14 points for the, the reasons you gave because it was going to be an intriguing game for a lot of reasons. Looking at the similarities between Carlton and Essendon, I expected Essendon to improve with a similar pattern. Greater emphasis on contested ball and clearances and also the ability to defend opposition ball movement. There were some um, terrible examples of... I called it on Twitter today, dishonesty. And the centre bounces where three players, if you look at, if you go back to Carlton's centre bounces, they played two sweepers. So two people were guarding uh, their outlet. Essendon's three just kept running forward. Ball, ball, hunt the ball, give it to me, give it to me. Uh, I'm not going to say selfish. I'm going to say dishonest. It, it it wasn't good. Look, and don't forget. Well, it was, sorry, just the, let me chip in there. It was so obvious yeah. too because yeah. of what you say. How many times did Patrick Dangerfield, for example, win the clearance and just run in a, a straight, unimpeded line towards his team's goals? If you freeze it, you see the three Eston boys forward of the ball before the ball is even won. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's either a combination of Poor planning, poor preparation, poor coaching, or a little bit of I'm want the ball myself. Do you there's uh, no yeah, go on. Sorry. There's no sharing of responsibility, no talking. You, you be the sweeper, you take the sweeper role. And the other thing, um, people, you know, Stringer was sorry, Stringer was out, uh, you know, but I tell you what. I wouldn't have minded getting Geelong without Gary Rowan, Mitch Duncan, Sam Managola, and 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 Busey in the back flank, and they lose Cameron early. Yeah, you're, you're really running out of excuses for a non-competitive Essendon side, and that's waking up this morning as what has really upset the Essendon faithful. They weren't sure whether they're going to win or lose, but I think in round one, you've got to guarantee your supporters some sort of physical effort, for goodness sake. No, and it's happened before. I mean, you go back to 2019, they uh, got absolutely smashed by GWS by 70-odd points in that first game. Of course, did recover and make the finals, so maybe there's the encouraging thing. But uh, got to be careful here. We don't go on about the side we have a leaning to because I thought the Cats were terrific, Rob, and... Um, you know, a lot of us have, have won. Look, I've, I've I've been a big backer of the Cats, but I just thought, gee, is enough changing there for them to avoid the inevitable at some stage tumble? And I don't mean tumble right down the arse end of a ladder, but tumble to the point where they're not really anything but uh, a space filler in the finals. But there's stuff even from this game that makes you think, you know what, they, they are going to do things a little bit differently. I thought um, I thought the ball movement was quicker again. Look, they didn't have to defend a lot, but there are times when in the last couple of years where their sort of safety first defensive approach has been stifling in terms of uh, almost having a negative impact on their own creativity. But I'm seeing a Stengel bob up with four goals. I mentioned Max Holmes. I, I thought Max played a, a really good game, but he's hitting the scoreboard now. 
Um, Parfit uh, was an outstanding player. And he's a key, Rob, because he and Narkel, I think, for the last two or three years now have been the guys the Cats really needed to step up and become key contributors around the ball. And that enables them to utilise the likes of Selwood, Dangerfield, etc., Duncan even, in other roles like kicking goals. That gives you more flexibility. It means you're not always wedded to the same game style. So they're the sorts of things that the Cats really need. I'll tell you what, though, Tom Hawkins, I love to, I love Tomahawk, but and and it's fashionable finally to say this now. But he just seems to be getting better with age. He just looks so strong and in touch, and he was his marking was one grab, and he had a he had a fair old tan too. Rob, I thought I was looking at Polly Farmer at one stage, not Tom Hawkins. <laughs> well, he's been on the farm, mate, the whole summer. <laughs> yeah. He stayed down there because of COVID. There's no doubt about that. But again, I'm I'm talking about communication. I've got to bring coaching at stoppages into it. Um, there was there's some several examples where Hawkins tapped it down in front of him for the likes of Stengel to run on it. No one on the defensive side. No one organising. So I don't know who's talking around the stoppages. You've covered Geelong fantastically well, but Essendon have got an immediate challenge is that um, they've got to fix these these deficiencies around contested stoppages and also work rate to defend. It was embarrassing some of the highlights I got that were, were put up on um, some of the football shows today that showed individual players refusing to chase or giving up the chase. So... Ben Rutten's got a real issue this week and um, it'll have to be done on the track. And it doesn't get a lot easier for them in terms of putting it into practice because they, of course, will play Brisbane, uh, who didn't look too shabby in their performance, which we'll be talking about very shortly. But there you go. A very dominant and impressive win by the Cats by 66 points over Essendon. That was the first of the Saturday games. Uh, the second was a twilight clash of the two Sydney teams, and it was a corker. The Sydney Derby, or Battle of the Bridge, or whatever they're calling it these days, but uh, two pretty fierce rivals, Sydney and Greater Western Sydney, of course, uh, memorable uh, elimination final down in Tassie last year, which the Giants won by the uh, narrowest possible margin. Sydney, remember that with a bit of pain? Well, the Swans hardly call it revenge for a finals defeat, but they did turn the tables. 20-point victors, the Swans, in this game. Final score, 17-10, 112, defeating GWS 13-14-92. The goals, well, leading goal kicker in this game, bit of a surprise. What a fantastic game, though. Luke Parker. Bobbing up with five goals for the Swans. Three to Florent, three to Heaney, two to McLean. Singles the rest. For GWS, three to Harry Himmelberg, two to Green, two to Hill, two to Lloyd. Singles the rest. Well, anyone's game this for most of the afternoon, Rob. Only in that final term did the Swans manage to put the foot down four goals to one in that last quarter. 25,500 there to watch at Stadium Australia. Interesting venue. Last time these two sides played each other there was, in fact, a final, the 2016 qualifying final. We've both predicted big things for the Swans this year. Uh, top four. I know you've got them top four. 
Uh, I've just got them outside the top four, but uh, they are an exciting side with some great young kids. I think a good balance of youngsters, veterans, a good blend of defensive qualities and attacking qualities. And uh, I think it's going to take them a long way this season. Nothing I saw in this game changed my mind about that. How do you see it? Nothing changed my mind about either side, to be quite honest. I think um, I've got Sydney probably uh, finishing just ahead of GWS, but this confirmed to me that uh, GWS aren't going to go away uh, very quickly and they're going to feel that six, seven, eight spot uh, very comfortably, I feel. Um, that They were playing really good football. They were never in control against Sydney, of course. And, if, and um, the good thing about it is that we just saw Phil Davis and Lance Franklin reintroduce themselves to each other and they've had some magnificent battles. So from an independent point of view, uh, Davis has had a great day. Lance only got the one, I think, but they both got through injury-free, lived to fight another day. Uh, we keep talking about these Ruck Rovers in interchanges and uh, these taller, stronger on ball, interchanging, kicking goals. Um, you know, Heaney's spending a little bit more time on ball. Parker, a little bit more time forward. Uh, if, if, you, if you can land on a theme for round one, I'm interested to follow the movements and keeping good players on the ball by using them forward. And... Um, We've, we've alluded to a num number of examples, Rowan, where um, this is going to be a really important tactic throughout the year because there's less interchanges. We're down to 75. Yeah. So one of the byproducts of that, the positive, is that the punters are going to see good players going to full forward, and that won't hurt. Yeah, well, just extending the point you're making, I think both sides will come out of this game thinking uh, in an attacking sense, things are, are looking quite good for similar reasons. I mean, um, Franklin only kicks the one goal and yet Sydney are able to kick 17 and top the ton. And they've got a, a variety of medium-sized goal kickers who can hit the scoreboard. Um, and they've got young blokes coming through like McLean and... McDonald, who are key position size. So their future as a goal-kicking team, I think, uh, is looking pretty assured. But GWS, we don't, we haven't looked at them as being a, a dangerous um, side in terms of scoreboard potency. You, you've got to remind yourself in this game, Toby Green not there. And he is, you know, is any player as important to their side as Toby Green is to GWS? Geez, I, I doubt it, to be honest. He was missing. We know how much he contributes to their uh, scoreboard effort. And yet they even have been able to almost break 100 points, 13-14, so with a bit more accuracy they would have. And uh, they've got some pretty decent forwards now as well. Um, I mean, Jesse Hogan, not part of it now, but in this game. But Himmelberg, three. Um, then you've got some medium-sized medium types with uh, Green, two, Hill, two, Lloyd, two. Uh, Jared Brand is a guy's come aboard. He might be able to kick goals for him. So uh, this is the the future of goal kicking, isn't it? It's probably having fewer, um, you know, big bags, uh, big bag goal kicking key position types, and more of a uh, a squad of midfielders slash part time forwards who can hit the scoreboard. Well, I think I think that's a great point. Mid type forwards that can hit the scoreboard that are genuine midfielders and you don't lose anything by them going in there. 
um, and we've named 10 of them today in this program, and also the capacity to stay on the ground. And even though they can't rest because of the forward pressure they have to have, just to go forward. Oh, look, you'd love Parker to go off the ball instead of him wandering down the forward line. Um, but that's not going to happen as much, and that can be good for the game. In the end, Rowan, conversion rate was critical. Um, in the second half, uh, Sydney went at 31% uh, scoring uh, inside 50 compared to GWS 13%. So uh, sadly for GWS, who were terrific, their conversion rate going forward dropped off, whether for fatigue or the ability to Sydney to increase their pressure. Isn't that ironic, though, because in that elimination final last year, it was exactly the opposite, and that was the the factor which determined the game. The Giants were incredibly efficient with the few yep. attacks they had, and Sydney kicked, I'm pretty sure it was 2-7 in the last quarter. So uh, the old chestnut of conversion, eh? It drives coaches mad, but... Uh, you know, it's not all about technique. Sometimes it's just about fortune. Do you agree, though, just finishing off on this game, I think the Giants will be as encouraged in defeat as any round one loser um, this week because I think the basics were sound. Statistically, they held up well. And they've still got Toby Green eventually to come back into that lineup. Is that a three or a four-weeker? What, the suspension? Yeah, what was it's that? It's a uh, six-weeker. It was up. It was upgraded to six by the tribunal. And the apology. I must apologies. Apologise. I had a brain fade last week, Rowan. You realise that the reason I picked Adelaide was the ability of Tex Walker to combine up forward with Fogarty and Thilthorpe. But uh, I thought Tex uh, had done his time and done his fine, but he's got a few to go too. He has. Well, they're two pretty key players, isn't they? But uh, in both cases, as a matter of fact, you know, um, both sides have come pretty close to winning without those players at their disposal. So, again, uh, you don't want to put all your eggs in the one basket. And I think GWS didn't pick up the points, but they won't necessarily be too unhappy about how this game went. Just quickly, Ron, before we move on to the next one, I always love looking at who's playing next week. Yeah, we've got a cracker, Sydney Swans versus Geelong. That'll be really fantastic to see. And uh, GWS, oh, travelled to Melbourne to play the Tigers. Oh, well. Look, I haven't looked ahead that much, but there's a couple of rippers for next round already. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. All right, that was Saturday Twilight. One game played on Saturday evening, and that one was at the Gabba. Well, here's two sides that have been pushing very hard for higher honours for a a couple of years each now. They played each other at the Gabba. Brisbane, Port Adelaide are the sides I'm talking about. In the end, a narrow 11-point win to the Lions in an entertaining game. 11 goals, 14-80, defeating Port Adelaide, 10-9-69. The goals, four goals to Joe Danaher for Brisbane. Absolutely no doubt that should have been five, uh, Rob, after that amazing brain fade by him on the halftime siren. Two goals to Darcy Ford, two to Lincoln McCarthy, four Port Adelaide, just the one multiple goal kicker. That was Dan Houston who kicked two singles the rest. Well, look, again, Port Adelaide have lost the game, um, come away with plenty of honour, but 
probably almost the pivotal thing for them out of this game, Rob, as much as not getting the match points, is the disastrous toll on the injury front. They have copped injuries to uh, Alir Alir, who could have, uh, this stage as we record this, a pretty serious ankle injury. Connor Rosie has an ankle injury. Xavier Dersma surely has a busted collarbone out of a uh, pretty hard bump by Mitch Robinson, which has seen Mitch Robinson suspended by the MRO for one match. We don't know that the Lions are going to accept that, but that is the finding at this stage. Trent McKenzie with what looked like a serious knee injury and uh, down back particularly could be really painful losses, both uh, literally and symbolically for Port with McKenzie and Aaliyah. Uh, if they're both gone for a considerable length of time, that is going to leave their defence very severely undermanned, you'd think, Rob. So one of those ones where the result is almost secondary for Port to the potential long-term damage. Yeah, secondary the repercussions because, uh, yeah, the, the short oh, might be even the long-term with some of those injuries if they're breaks and syndemotus, but 11 points doesn't mean a lot. I think they controlled a large part of the game, uh, Port Adelaide, and on... Apart from the injuries, I don't think they'd be getting on the plane being um, that discouraged by their form. They led for a lot of the game until the last quarter, when um, when when the they you know the Lions trade by twenty four points at one stage. So Port Adelaide playing very very good football, and interesting for them out of the top eight possession winners on the ground, Houston, Boke, Wines, Butters, Darcy Byrne Jones, and Riley Bonner. There's only one Brisbane bloke in that, and that was a, a superb game from Lockie Neal. So they also controlled the footy, and um, I think the injuries obviously threw them out at the end. Uh, Brisbane, hard to beat up there. I want to talk about, just quickly, if you lose McKenzie, you know you know there's injuries and there's injuries. No one wants to lose um, your best player, but sometimes your most important players aren't your best players. They need McKenzie's kicking off half-back and they need Alir Alir's intercepting. They were two recruits that came to the club from other clubs and have filled superbly important roles. And while they're not losing Boke or Robbie Gray or Ollie Wines, um, their importance to this team is, um, is on an equal footing. I've got no doubt about that. And they're going to be very hard to cover. For the, for the strengths they bring to Port Adelaide, I look at uh, you look at these two sides and you sort of want to bracket them together, don't you? Because yeah. their paths have been very similar over the last couple of years. But well, I think you will, mate. I think I think yeah. you're seeing two of the preliminary finalists having a bit of a warm up in round one. My, yeah, no, look, quite possibly. My worry uh, with Port Adelaide relative to Brisbane is that Brisbane has so much firepower. They were number one side for points scored last year. They've ended up coming home with five goals to one in the last quarter. Danaher, four. Um, yeah, McCarthy kicks goals. Darcy Fort, first game for him, bobs up with two goals. Zach Bailey kicks goals. You know, they've got so many ground-level players that kick goals. You've got Eric Hipwood coming back uh, at potentially a, a quicker rate than was initially expected. So yep. great firepower. I look at Port Adelaide in contrast. And look, don't get me wrong, this is a great performance by them at the Gabba, which is really hard to win at. But 10 goals for the game, one player with more than a goal to his name, and that was Dan Houston. 
Um, you know, Dixon not there, obviously, but uh, Dixon, Marshall, Georgiades, is that good enough to be kicking you the sort of scores that are going to win you a flag? I've got my doubts. Depend on what sort of year and what development rate uh, Georgiades improves on. Yeah. And Marshall. If they really come on in leaps and bounds, uh, they take enormous amount of pressure off Dixon and Robbie Gray. Well, that failure to score means that their defence has to be, you know, number one or, or high quality week after week, doesn't it? And they're, again, getting back to the injuries. Geez, if they've lost Aaliyah and McKenzie, going to be hard to cover them. So uh, interesting time support. Uh, there's a certainly, I, I saw Alistair Winch talking uh, during the coverage about he's very confident Brisbane is going to make another improvement and go on and, and win the flag. Did you see anything definitive about them in this game that suggested that or otherwise, or do you think it was about the same? I must admit, Cam Rayner coming back makes a pretty big difference, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, I see. Uh, well, they've got to win a final. Mm. And if they make the top four and win a final, they're in a home preliminary final. Mm. So unless they have a uh, uh, some sort of destruction midway through the year, I think the home ground advantage and the, and the players you spoke about gives them a great opportunity to finish in the top four um, or irony being though that they're one five in home finals over the last three years. Oh, okay. I think they're a better side, and I think they'll take the next step. Um, and if they get to a preliminary final, it's up to them whether they play the next week or not. Port Adelaide have got Hawthorne. Is it disrespectful to say they're going to get some respite and they should get away with four points and give themselves an extra week's recovery for these blokes, or? Are we going to have a good chat about Hawthorne coming up and can they go over there and create a little bit of an upset? I think anyway, it is. I think it, Tuesday night or Wednesday I, morning. I think it is potentially disrespectful. In fact, what you just said, if I was Alistair Clarkson, he's not there now, of course. No, but, he's in yeah, Tasmania. But it's the sort of thing he would do. I'd get a little audio snippet of that and play it to oh, the players. They're going, not going to listen to me. Are you going to let this bloke? No, you know what it's like, Rob. No, you know? I know. <laughs> as, a, as a young journo, nothing gave you a, a, a bigger uh, ego boost than hearing that a coach should cut out something you'd written and stuck it on the players' lockers and go, we're going to let this bloke. Oh, oh what about those? <laughs> yeah. Got Rowan Connolly posted all over the uh, Fitzroy whiteboard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's two things that are defunct, Rowan Connolly and Fitzroy. <laughs> no, yeah, and, and I know before anyone pounces on me, I know Fitzroy aren't defunct. The Fitzroy yeah. Reds still doing great business in the ammos. Brisbane uh, on the on the on the plane to Marvel Stadium to, to play the Bombers is an intriguing game. Well, plenty of intrigue early in the season. Well, there it was, 11-point yep. win to Brisbane on the Saturday evening. Let's turn our attention to Sunday. First game on Sunday afternoon between those great old rivals of the mid-70s. I'm going with that one again. Hawthorne. And North Melbourne. Well, you see him play at the MCG and it makes you think of Phil Baker and Peter Knights and Lee Matthews and all those guys. Uh, this one, probably in terms of quality, not quite in that bracket. But in the end, a good 20-point win for Hawthorne. 11 goals, 12, 78, defeating North Melbourne. 8, 10, 58. The goals, 3 to Lewis for the Hawks. 3 to Jack Gunston. I want to talk about him in a minute, Rob. He's a great footballer. Two to Wingard, singles the rest, and for the Roos, two each to Simkin, Goldstein, Larky, 
and uh, the other two goals, uh, singles, including one, two, highly touted number one draft pick, Jason Horn Francis, who uh, didn't have a heap of touches, but everything he did reeked of class, kicked a good goal. Uh, he is certainly going to be a really, really good player for North Melbourne. Uh, some important returns for the Hawks, Robin. We touched on this the other day. Gunston coming back, Sicily coming back. Jaff, who missed the end of last season, coming back. Well, is it a coincidence? I don't think so that all three of those guys named in Hawthorne's six best players this afternoon. Got some other good players too. A little more, I think, uh, bobbed up with plenty of good goals last year. I think he's a pretty good player for them. Um, game style, well, it's hard to say. Well, look, it wasn't a high-quality contest. There's still plenty of errors. But the Hawks got the win. Uh, Sam Mitchell will be happy with that. Some really important players came back for him. By the same token, too, Shory, I don't think North and David Noble will be uh, bitterly disappointed by this. Uh, they need to lift their scoring rate. These are the sorts of games they need to be able to win against potential fellow strugglers. But uh, by the same token, uh, some decent signs for them as well. What do you make of this one? Well, they started very well through Simpkin and Davis Unaki. They were terrific, and their inside 50s were, were first class. So, and, and what I thought would happen was that their pace and their run might really worry Hawthorne. Um, but look, the, the Rowan Connolly I knew from the 90s would certainly raise the first question to uh, David Noble. David, uh, you went in with three big blokes, Goldstein, Tristan Zeri, and Callum Coleman Jones. Do you think it had an effect on your running capacity towards the end of the game? Yeah, well, I think that is a question I would have asked. And it's uh, interesting because Goldie, game one, the veteran, the leader, um, started on the interchange bench. I would have thought you might have you might have opened the batting with him, but their start was fine. So Noble got that right. But um the second most important thing is we spoke about it on in the preview and um, we had fingers crossed that uh, Gunston could return to something like his form. But with Mitch Lewis there and being such a focal point and could be one of the most improved players in the competition, Jack Gunston's going to play a floating role. He's going to be up, a back, cross, down, around. Which is exactly what he does best. Yeah. Certainly. Look, and he... And I'm sorry, and and the combination at the other end of the ground, just quickly, 107 minutes of game time, seven intercept marks and 27 possessions for Sicily is what gave us a little bit of hope to um, uh, for the Hawks because Amira and Wingard, until a few bursts towards the end of the game, had very, very quiet games, which are good signs for Hawthorne. You know... Sicily Gunston, I mean, I, I do want to focus on Gunston here, but I'll tell you one thing about those two blokes. You'd have to argue they're potentially their two smartest players. I, I reckon Gunston, I know this sounds weird for a triple premiership player, but I reckon Gunston is, has been underrated. He's such a smart player. He's not that key position size or strength. But he gets so many goals just out of his footy now. He knows where to position himself. Uh, position himself. He knows the spaces in which to work. He's a smart footballer and he's pretty consistent too. And so is Sicily, mind you, playing in defence. 
the the importance of those two coming back into the Hawthorne lineup cannot be undersold. And a major reason why I, for one, think that they might be a better performed side than a lot of people think. And I think there's some really good signs out of this win again today, including some of the younger guys. I would hope that North, yeah, I agree. I would hope that, uh, uh, I, I would hope you were wrong about your assessment of North Ho- uh, North Hobart. I'm thinking of where David Noble came from, yeah, yeah. North Hobart. They had poor games from Stevenson, Larky, Zerha. They lost Mackay down the back, um, which left them a little bit short in some one-on-one marking duels. Left McDonald and Zebel a little bit isolated at times. So Mackay's are really important. I think they'd be, well, they should be bitterly disappointed that they didn't get a full contribution across the board and they were 21 points up. I know momentum changes and it's not a lot, but uh, I got a feeling they'd be pretty disappointed in that performance for the reasons you said. They saw that as winnable and it should have been winnable. Yeah, no, no, fair point. And uh, actually, just rather than sort of generalise about younger faces, let's talk about some of those uh, younger Hawthorne bucks. I thought John Newcomb, uh, really impressive for them, bobbed up with an important goal. He had 18 disposal in the end. We know Jack Scrimshaw is going to be a really, really good player for them. Dylan Moore, likewise, um, has looked over the last year like he's going to be a long-termer for them. Connor, Connor McDonald, I thought, impressive. Finn McGuinness, son of Premiership uh, defender Scott McGuinness, I thought, uh, impressive. And Josh Ward, highly rated draftee. Yeah, and good signs from him too. So they're not without young talent coming through. There, and uh, Granger Barras and yep. uh, the exciting machine off half back. There's going to be uh, a revelation. CJ Jeth from uh, uh, coached against him at uh, Xavier College. Yeah. Um, he was a man you had to be uh, a little bit wary of. CJ. He, he went to Xavier, did he? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah no, he's, he's, well, he looked good enough last year. He's going to be one of the stars of the competition, I reckon. Uh, yeah, he's a terrific part. Morrison and of course Frost was good. So um yeah, let's 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 not dismiss you know, everyone's pumping up Norse youth and all that sort of thing. Um was it 2015 or 2005? Uh Hawthorne's youngest side for a decade. You know, they've really put out uh, was it two five? It might have been two thousand five. Oh five with Franklin Ruffin. Over five, yep. Uh, the younger we'll, side since then, so let's not dismiss dismiss where they are with the, the young players and give them a big tick. Yep. So good start for Sam Mitchell in his senior coaching career. All right, uh, that was the one game played in Melbourne on Sunday. There was another one a little bit later in the day in Adelaide. Well, I've got to be honest, Rob, uh, the second game on the Sunday menu, I can't say I was uh, licking my lips in anticipation. That is Adelaide and Fremantle. But this ended up being a corker, a really entertaining game all day. And uh, one of the most thrilling, dramatic finishes I can remember in a game for a long time. In the end, a one-point win to Fremantle. Uh, inaccuracy almost costing them 11 17 83 the dockers just getting over the line from adelaide 12 10 82 the goals for the victors three to schultz two to lob singles the rest 
for the Crows and stiff not to get the points in the end. Five goals on debut to Rochelle. And we've heard you waxing lyrical about him. We can talk some more about that effort. Two to Fogarty, two to Rowe and singles the rest. Amazing finish uh, if you aren't across what happened. Fremantle did have its nose in front most of this game, but Adelaide, big second half from the Crows, six goals in the third quarter whilst the the Dockers remained goalless. So it was Adelaide that led at the final change and uh, harder going for them on the scoreboard front, but they looked like they were doing more than enough to hang on. Best part of three goals up late in the piece. Frio looked just about gone at this stage, but somehow just found something and made a final surge at victory. Switkowski got them a bit closer. Rory Lobb took a mark in the goal square, and then Lockie Schultz put them one point up. Then desperate final moment of attack from the Crows. The ball was kicked forward. Looks to be heading through for a goal, and at the very worst, a point off hands, which would uh, produce the season's first draw in the opening round. But no, not to be, because young Frio defender Heath Chapman, whilst uh, jostling his opponent, somehow managed to punch the ball, not only clear of the goal line, but back into play, thus denying the Crows the tying point. It was picked up by a teammate, cleared out of defence, the siren rang, and Frio, as a result, has a one-point victory to kick off its season. And uh, just on the fortune front, who knows? That could end up being a really, really significant result for the Dockers. It was thrilling stuff, Rob. And uh, look, Adelaide would be disappointed not to get the win, but their development continues. And Freo, by the same token, a game that they have to win if they are going to aspire to a final spot. And uh, however narrowly, that's what they did. Well, I... Uh, we are- we had a difference of opinion in this one. Um, I went for Adelaide at home. I um, Oh, good. I so liked... there's one you got wrong and I got right. We haven't spoken about the tips yet. Oh, we don't have to if you don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to, but we will. Go on. Go on. Um, look, no Chera gone to Carlton. Darcy, their first ruckman, Fife and Tabernar. Um, I thought there's pretty good grounds to expect a, a, a performance very similar to what Adelaide got. Um, Fremantle were outstanding. Their ball movement early, they're running along the ground, um, uh, their kicking. Whereas on the other side of it, um, Adelaide were, were, were slowed down. I don't know whether it was it was hard to tell off TV. Um, it's shocking to watch games off TV. You've got to watch them live, folks, for goodness sake. Um, but whether it was Fremantle's forward pressure that just inhibited their ball movement, but they were sluggish and slow. They, the only way they could score was off stoppages. So Fremantle just looked a class above them and it appeared, you know, how far. But like we see in a lot of footy, um, change came back at half time. And, you know, you'd like to be a fly on the wall. You'd like to hear what Nick said because they closed down space. Did they talk about this? They shut them down at stoppages and they moved the ball. Did Fremantle get a little bit tired? Um, I was listening to the radio at the same time and they talked about the heat factor and that yeah. was affecting Fremantle. Well, coming from Perth, I, I found that quite interesting. And then, of course, the uh, obligatory pump up to the guru of fitness, uh, Darren Burgess, um, got himself into the frame. 
and I'm, I mean, he's, he did a great job with Melbourne and he, he did the same. Their fitness was superb and they really came on. But, mate, that, that incident at the end, watched a lot of footy, 99.9% of the time, that's going to be touched on the line and go through for a point, isn't it? Well, the momentum of the kick almost ensures that, doesn't it? That's why yeah. it, was, it was. And not only did he have to reverse the momentum of the ball, he was being held by, I think it was Nick Murray was hanging on to him. He was off balance. And then he had to worry about where the ball was going to actually fall. Unfortunately for the Dockers, it fell to two teammates in the goal square who were able to clear. But absolutely a, a game-saving spoil on the goal line you know what the other um i mean you get tired of talking about it because there's only there's not a lot you can say about it but conversion is just so important oh. Fremantle historically has been a really shocking conversion team and 11 17 it's almost cost them another one well it did um yeah the the interesting um i mentioned the injury injuries with chera and fife out of the engine room um I was impressed with Will Brody. Mm. Um, he's a big, strong body. He, um, I've known him since a young fella coaching against him at school, and he, and nothing against the lad, but he, he monstered eighteen-year-olds at school, and and uh, he's taken a while to find his feet on the on the Gold Coast. And I just thought him and Jordan Clark, who really made an issue of wanting to leave Geelong for greater opportunities. I think I think they stepped up and uh, filled the void to mm. some extent. And I, I think, yeah, it's pretty significant yeah. for Freo, isn't it? They, they've been a side that's been too reliant on those senior players and obviously Monday, Fife, Walters, we're talking about there. I think today's a good example of where that improvement's going to come from because Brody, as you say, pretty prominent. Brayshaw, terrific for him, 28 touches. Caleb Sarong, rising star. You know, that that young talent is coming through and playing consistently well for the Dockers, and that's what's going to make them a better team, isn't it? Is that fine his pregnant pause? That was very pregnant. I was waiting uh, for the uh, for the obstetrician to come in and deliver. But sometimes I just – you're so succinct and – you, you clarify everything. I'm left speechless. <laughs> no, oh, that, that is a great segment. Hey, where to for these two? Rowan? Where, where to for these two? Based uh, on one game, which is difficult. I think I think Freo has very realistic finals prospects. Um, can see them making it. And I think Adelaide's definitely on the right path. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I, I, I'd like to think that Adelaide could could push look if they keep improving like that second half that's more of the standard you'd think they would get enough wins to get them out of the bottom four yeah which i think would be a significant step forward and of course Fremantle join a line of uh five to six clubs that are pushing for those positions seven eight nine and ten yep Good call. All right. Uh, one game left in the opening round of the new season, and uh, that was over in Perth, and it was between the two coasters. And the opening round finished off at Optus Stadium in Perth. Uh, pretty late finish over here on the eastern seaboard with uh, daylight saving still going. Uh, the final game wrapping up about 10.30 p.m. or 10.20 p.m., 
uh, Eastern Standard Time, 7.30 in Perth, of course, where they don't have daylight savings still for some reason. Uh, but an historic result, and that is the first ever win by Gold Coast in Perth and at the Eagles' expense, obviously. In the end, by 27 points, the final scores, Gold Coast, 16-11, 107, defeating West Coast, 12-8, 80. The goals, Isaac Rankin with four, including the last two of the game to seal victory. Two to Casbolt and two to Chole, both playing their first games for the Suns. So good return from the Gold Coast debutants. And two to Ainsworth. He also kicked a critical goal in the last quarter. Singles the rest for the Eagles, for the injury, not just depleted, injury-ravaged Eagles. Petrocelli, too. And uh, sure, we used to have an, a running joke, uh, Finey and I, about Petrocelli, where one of us used to have to say every time his name was mentioned, gee, he's quick. But uh, I think that one's probably outlived its usefulness, so we'll keep going. Petrocelli, <laughs> two. Kennedy, two. And Jones, two. Singles, the rest. Well, uh, it's a measure of just how depleted West Coast was that we both tipped Gold Coast, which, uh, wow, it's a stretch when you tip Gold Coast. It's a bigger stretch when you tip them on the road. And it's an even bigger stretch when you tip them in Perth. That gives you an idea uh, the extent of the odds the Eagles are up against. I'll tell you what, though, they gave a pretty damn good effort considering how depleted they were. And just, again, to give you an idea, people are familiar with the sort of calibre of the names, but six of last year's top 10 in their best and fairest were absent from this game. So they really were up against it. Nonetheless, they hung in this contest until really late in the piece. In fact, uh, still just four points the difference between those two sides with only about 10 minutes left in this game. It was then though the Gold Coast, uh, just that little bit of edge, perhaps in class across that 22 and a bit of seniority really uh, weighed home. They, uh, they they finished out this game very efficiently, as a matter of fact. Ainsworth kicked a goal to uh, take him nine points up. Young Davies, who I like the look of a lot, he made that 15 points. And as I said, Isaac Rankin kicking his third and fourth goals, the last of them coming after the siren for a 27-point win. Like I said, Rob, always going to be difficult for West Coast, but... A challenge to Gold Coast because this simply, if they're going to have any credibility, and again, given the extent of the Eagles' absentees, this was a game that, whether it was in Perth or not, they had to win, and they did. Well, I, <clears throat> I like your I like your word in credibility. Like um, wherever you looked, Gold Coast were um, they had the greatest depth. They had the young players. They had a reasonable spread of um, experience with um, Ellis and Swallow. So. It was a natural assumption to go with them, but to credit to the West Coast Eagles, their pressure was great throughout the game. But unfortunately, as you said, they've taken it to about oh, three quarters, no, probably more than three quarters, and uh, it took five brilliant um, centre clearances, which resulted in five goals. So that that's a really good effort. I must give credit to Wits here. He has... Um, He's hung in there with uh, Natanui. Natanui has a capacity to dominate, particularly in the Western Seaboard uh, at the previous Subiaco. But 
Witch's uh, ruck work was excellent. Um, I like the fact that um, Rankin kicked those last two goals together with Davies you spoke about and uh, Ben Answorth, and it just took that last 10 minutes to break them. So there's a lot to like. They'd be very proud of their efforts, I, I believe, the West Coast Eagles. But in the end, I think... Um, the, the Gold Coast were far more efficient. They went 63% compared to 48% going inside 50. And in the end, it's a, it's it's an incredible thing to say. Um, and we've never said it before, have we, Rowan? Uh, the Gold Coast, too much talent and too much experience. Yeah, well, like I said, extraordinary circumstances. But these are the little milestones that they have to tick off, aren't they? And we saw one of them last year when they uh, managed to beat Richmond at Marvel Stadium. And you said, okay, well, there's a landmark moment for them. Well, this one, and again, despite the extent of West Coast uh, challenges, here's another milestone. It's a win in Perth uh, off the longest road trip in, in footy. First game of the season. Um, so, you know, Stuart Jew will be wrapped about this and, uh, more importantly, it, it just gets them off to a good start. Now, we've seen them do this before, haven't we? We've seen them win, you know, three of the first five, four or five, and then uh, fold like a deck of cards. Well, uh, they've got to be better than that now. Look, the, I guess another comment on this game too, the biggest statistical discrepancies were two fairly major categories. One, the inside 50s, which finished up 42 to 59. So uh, the Suns have had about a you know, a 33% uh, greater return in forward entries. I bet that percentage figure's wrong and I knew I shouldn't have gone with it. Don't bother correcting me, anyone. I haven't got a calculator in front of me. Oh, the inside 50s, did you yeah, say? 40, right. 42 to 59. No, whether that that uh, advantage does calculate as a 33% more. But uh, let's, let's not go there. Um, I'll leave that for the mathematicians. Um, the other, I, I, I think, uh, telling statistical discrepancy was the contested possession and the Suns had 34 more contested possessions. So not the West Coast are a great contested ball team, but, um, you know, that is a, a particular category where the Suns have been really, really weak. So just to win that one and win it with a fair bit of dominance, I think is another important milestone for them. Look, I don't think people are expecting big things from the Suns. I think uh, it's sort of once bitten, twice shy with them and, it's been so long now, people have sort of given up. But I don't know. I, I, I do get the feeling uh, to an extent that they are starting to just gradually make a few strides here and there. And I mean, it, it would be good for the competition to see that continue, wouldn't it? Are they a chance to get out of the out of the bottom four? They've, they've got these emerging players. Uh, Lucasius has gone um, back. He, he had a look at going back up forward. Their form against Geelong was very good. Yeah. Um, and um, Rankin, uh, obviously the King situation. Chol and Casbolt, Rowan, are they, can they be consistent enough to be uh, a, a regular goal kicker and give these exciting medium-type players an opportunity to come into the game? Yeah, I think they can. Well, you know, I think I think Casbolt, um, you know, look, he's been up and down, but he might get a better quality of supply up forward. And Chol, I really like Chol. I mean, had he been playing at any other club over the last few years, he probably would have had twice as many senior appearances as he's had. And, um, you know, look, it, it's, it hasn't happened consistently with him, but 
that's why those guys are at Gold Coast. It, it's for consistent opportunity. And I think they they could both prove pretty good pickups. And the answer to your first question, yeah, I can see them getting out of the bottom four. And once you yeah. get out of the bottom four, it's not necessarily that big a step from outside the bottom four to the bottom couple of spots of the eight. It's that well, tight a competition. They've got the premiers next week, so um, that's going to be a very interesting competition for you. And the West Coast Eagles come to Melbourne uh, to play North Melbourne over here. So uh, a couple of interesting games there. I'd expect Gold Coast to give Melbourne a run for their money. I'd be very disappointed if they fell away. I don't think they'll win. I don't think they can win. But if what you're saying and what we're talking about, Gold Coast improvement, you reckon they're going to hang around for a fair while in that game? Well, I hope so. Uh, like I said, uh, good for the competition and, dare I say, good for football. Well, that's it for our round one review. Terrific round to open the new season. Uh, if they're all or even half as entertaining as the last few days of footy have been, we're in for a really, really terrific season, Rob. And we will keep our levels of enthusiasm up for the duration if the footy's this good. Um, always remember to gamble responsibly with Palmer Bet, but always remember also that you can get tackle-busting benefits uh, this AFL season if you do your football wagering with Palmer Bet. Uh, you happy with that, Rob? You happy with round one? You're all well. Set to we'll keep be judged going. by our critics and uh, the the people out there that listen to our podcast. Um, I'll say it's not the easiest thing to do to follow and watch nine games over a weekend. But uh, we love our football so much and uh, we hope we we can bring some insights uh, from inside the ground to our podcast. So I'll see you Wednesday and thanks for listening. And remember, folks, too, you can support uh, this podcast by visiting the supporter page at ACAST, wherever you are choosing to listen to this podcast episode or better still become a footyology patron uh, via Patreon, one of the many links all over the website, footyology.com.au. Thanks to your company, Rob. Thanks to your company too, our faithful audience. And uh, we'll speak to you again on Wednesday.